are tuning in through YouTube and Facebook. Uh, always especially glad to have you visiting in on our services. Um, as I mentioned before, I think uh, this is Lesson 9 if you've got your quarterlies. And if you don't have a quarterly, you can turn with me to, we're going to be taking our passage of Scripture this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Uh, you'll notice in your quarterly, the lesson, uh, the title of the, today's lesson is called Final Admonitions. Chris did a fantastic job last week of the beginning of chapter 5, the last chapters we have in the first letter to the Thessalonians. Um, and you may remember from last week that um, I don't know if they just had the curiosity themselves. Of course, everybody probably has the curiosity of, of, as you can imagine, in the first century of learning that Jesus would come back, uh, wondering when that would be. And, and Paul made it a point in the first part of this chapter of chapter 5 to say that we're not given that. We don't know that. And in that case, you better be prepared. And we had some good comments on that. Uh, it's probably a good thing that we don't know the exact time and day because the way we carry ourselves or do things could be uh, severely interrupted by that, I would think. If we uh, knew that that was coming years and years in advance, uh, that might cause us to think that we could kind of live however we wanted to, have a little bit more grace that we give upon ourselves that we really don't need to have. Um, so maybe it is a good thing, but this is that was kind of the basis for the first half of the chapter. And as it's titled today, the last half of the chapter, verses 12 through 28, are called Final Admonitions. And as is common a lot of time with some of the epistles that Paul writes, he'll spend, uh, he'll have, he'll always have a good introduction, a good greeting to the brethren who he's writing these letters to, uh, depending on which, which church it is or which area that he's writing to. The, most of the, the body of the letter contains uh, exactly the points that Paul's wanting to get across. And of course, with this letter to the Thessalonians, there's quite a few things that he wanted to make sure he got to them. But a lot of times you'll notice in some of Paul's epistles when he gets to the end, he gives a lot of practicality, a lot of practical uses that we can have as, as Christians. And in just a second, I'm going to go through the background of the letter again because I always like to understand what the reason for the letter was and understand the needs to the people that Paul was writing to. Uh, but it's kind of, it's always fascinating to me, even though that Paul had a specific purpose for the Thessalonians here. Uh, as you remember, Paul didn't get to spend as much time as he'd like telling them all the things he wanted them to know. So, of course, he took this opportunity to uh, spell out some things that he wanted to make sure that the new church had uh, as it pertained to the gospel. But he also wanted to kind of give them some, some admonitions and, and teach them or tell them some things that they needed to keep in mind. And what's amazing is even though that Paul um, had his purposes for telling these, this particular church, this chapter that we're going to study today, all these admonitions, these lists of things that Paul encourages the brethren there to know are all practical things that we could use in our daily Christian lives. And it's amazing. 2,000 years ago, a brand new church needed to know this. But today, we all still need to rem remember these things. I think we're all well aware that these are some expectations that we uh, have as Christians, how we should live our daily lives and how we could be examples to others, how we're supposed to live peaceably with each other. Uh, these are all things that Paul wanted to make sure that they knew, but again, it's all important things for us to know as well. So again, before we get into to the lesson text, uh, a little bit of the background of the letter. Uh, I think we're, we, we've pretty well established that Paul and Silas had to leave abruptly. The persecution that they faced caused them to have to leave and go to Berea. And then of course, there were even some, some of the Jews in Thessalonica that even wanted to go 
to the next town over to Berea and push them out of there as well. But they didn't have enough time to teach and preach all the things that Paul wanted to get established, and Silas as well. These men uh, obviously had a great love for the gospel and a great love for the brethren that they uh, that they met uh, in Thessalonica. And as we would remember that there were a few Jews that they were able to encourage when they went to Thessalonica, but not a few Greeks, as it's mentioned. So there were, there were actually some Gentiles that they reached as well in the city of Thessalonica. And as they were having to make uh, an unplanned departure, um, basically, if you put yourself in the place of the, the, the early church there, um, you know, we know that Paul spent three Sabbaths going in and there was a particular amount of time that he was in Thessalonica. Don't know exactly how much, but we do understand that it was not necessarily long enough. Uh, one of the things that I keep in my mind is as Paul and Silas depart, we don't know how much information that they got to give uh, as, as regarding the gospel, but I'm sure they didn't have everything. Uh, I mentioned uh, on my last um, lesson that I, uh, I gave a few weeks ago that at my age, uh, I've grown up in the church and there's still tons of stuff that I need to study and learn every day. There's, there's scripture that I come across that I've never paid attention to. And as you could imagine, if it was just a few weeks that Paul and Silas got to teach the new church here. And, and when we say it's a new church, these were new converts. Some of them might have been Jews that had had a basis in, in you know serving God. But there's probably lots of Gentiles that may not have necessarily had any kind of relationship whatsoever. So this was all brand new to a lot of folks. And the thing that I think about the most is we've got a Bible for us as Christians. We gather together. We spend time with one another. We worship God. Um, but we have, we have the Bible that we can reference. And at this point in time, everything was so new to this new church. They had the, the old law, the Old Testament, and the Scriptures. But everything as it was pertaining to the gospel, I think that we can think of it that everything that Paul and Silas and, and later on a little bit, Timothy, that was pretty much all they had. They didn't have anything written. And the purpose of this letter was to kind of, Paul was worried about them as he had to depart. And he spent some time later on in, in Corinth. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But he was still worried about the church there. When Paul went to help spread the gospel and help start these churches in some of these areas to which he'd never been, he obviously had a lot of concern for them. And he didn't want to leave them without having everything that they needed to be successful in their Christian lives and to spread that gospel to others. Uh, we know we've got other epistles that are written by Paul to which uh, he writes back to some of the churches that he had started. I know a few years ago we had a lesson on the Sunday morning Bible study uh, about the book of Galatians that the churches uh, in Galatia, there were, you know, there were a lot of the Jews that were converted that were still trying to teach that there were things in the old law that were required with the new covenant that they had. And Paul definitely made it a point to correct them with some of these matters. And so I can understand why Paul would have a concern for not really getting out everything that he had and the fact that these brethren here at the new church, uh, they had each other. And I think we learned a little later on that Timothy came back to, to kind of help them. But they probably didn't have all that they needed to have. And Paul felt that he definitely had plenty more that he wanted to say to them. And so we have this letter that we're studying this morning, which is actually for us, contents of the New Testament. This is something that we use as our scripture to refer to. And these admonitions that we're going to be given in these last few verses, this is how we as Christians today know that how we should conduct ourselves and, and what we should, what we're expected of in our Christian lives. So uh, it, it, it is um, concerning, I guess, to think back to when uh, Paul and Silas had to depart that uh, not only did they not have 
everything that they needed as far as scripture goes or something to reference there. But there was also a lot of persecution in Thessalonica, as we remember. That's the whole reason that Paul and Silas were not able to stay there is because they were um, persecuting them to the point that they kind of probably want them imprisoned or at least run out and and they succeeded in that. And so these brethren in the church of Thessalonica were remaining there, worshiping God as, as new converted Christians with persecution in that area. Um, and so after Paul Paul leaves, we know that they go to Berea, and then shortly after Paul goes to Athens, they, they send Paul to Athens by himself and eventually finds his way to Corinth. And what we are given in, in the Scriptures is that um, Timothy and Paul meet up in Corinth. And you could imagine that's probably a happy reunion for those two. And Paul was concerned about the church that was there in Thessalonica, and he knew that Timothy had been there. So Timothy comes back to give him some good news, to let him know that the brethren there in Thessalonica were very encouraged. They were still trying to hold fast to all the information that he gave them. Uh, as we can imagine, based on some of the information that we have contained in this letter to, to the Thessalonians, there were a couple of things that they had some questions on, so a couple of things that they were probably not... Um, fully understanding. And so uh, I think that's the reason that Paul writes to them, particularly in chapter four. Uh, this would have been either a couple weeks ago's lesson that they definitely had a concern or not really fully understand Jesus' second coming. And we also know that they had a concern about their loved ones that had gone on before them. What did that mean for them if they hadn't heard the gospel or been able to obey the gospel? So they they had their own concerns, the or the uh, the Thessalonians did, and Paul had his, his concerns as well. So as Paul and Timothy were talking with one another, um, I guess Paul kind of had the basis that he wanted to write to them and give them this information that we have. Now, here's some other things that I wanted to uh, to keep in mind myself, and, and maybe it's a good thing for the continuing of, of this last chapter that we're going to do uh, today. Uh, we've already talked about Paul's concerns for the church. Um, we know from chapter 3 that Paul longed to see the brethren in, in Thessalonica, and they longed to see him as well. So the church there wanted to see Paul and Silas again, and Paul and Silas were looking very forward to having an opportunity to get back to them. But until they could, Paul wrote this letter. He was encouraged to learn of their faithfulness, uh, but there was still a lot of information that he wanted to pass on to them. Uh, and he wanted to address some specific issues, which we will talk about a little bit today. And as we, as I say again, the, the title of this lesson is called Final Admonitions. Here's some things that I'm going to kind of point out to you as we go along. Um, there's a couple of words that we often read of in the Bible, I guess particularly in some of the um, some of the epistles of Paul, but you'll hear the word admonish a lot. We'll notice it a couple of times in today's uh, scripture. Uh, the title of the lesson is Final Admonitions. That's just another form of the word admonish. Uh, admonish, a couple of definitions that I found, is to gently or friendly reproof. Um, does anybody know what the word reproof means? Or do you remember hearing that before? Paul used the word reproof in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Is given As he was writing to Timothy and telling him that the gospel was inspired of God, he also told him how the gospel could be used to correct and to reproof. Um, so as we're looking today that these are final admonitions, uh, these are just some things. Another definition is counsel or warning against fault or oversight. But it may be that admonish is just a good word for telling someone like, hey, I, we need to make sure we correct this or this is something that we may not fully understand. So I'm going to help you to understand these things. Exhort is another word that you'll probably see. And it means to strongly encourage or urge to do something. 
Now, this last word that I've got here, rebuke, is, is a word that's not necessarily used in today's, but you may hear that word a lot too in, in the Bible, or specifically in some of these epistles that Paul wrote. That means to criticize sharply or reprimand. To rebuke means to correct somebody with, I guess, a lot of passion is a way that you could look at that. But all these words are words that we're going to see how they fit into today's lesson because Paul is not going to give commands, as we'll see. He's not going to command the brethren at Thessalonica to do anything. He's going to try to encourage them, uplift them, and he's going to try to admonish some of these things that they may have only partly understood. He wants to make sure that they understand some, some things of the gospel, how that they should be as a church, how that they should get along with one another. Um, and as with other epistles by Paul, uh, talked about that um, it, it just seems to be that when he gets ready to close out his letter, he wants to give some practical uses uh, for the people that he's writing to. And we we get to use these today, but it was advice to a new church. But again, it's beneficial to us today as Christians. So um, that's just a little bit of a background to get us to our lesson today. If you want to turn with me to page 86, real quick, I'll go through the lesson text that we have, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So as Paul is closing this letter out, obviously when, when Paul wrote this letter, things were not broken down chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But we use chapter and verse to help us kind of separate things, make some natural uh, points, But when we get into the last part of this chapter that we're going to talk about, as you can see, this is almost in a list format. It's almost like Paul says, you know, step one, step two, step three. It just, it's just quick little reminders that he's given to all the brethren there at the church of Thessalonica. And um, in my opinion, they're, they're pretty plainly spoken. They're not so eloquently given that we can't really understand what Paul's trying to say. He's, he's pretty direct with each of these points that he tries to make. Uh, so with the time that we have left, and I think we've probably got 15 to 20 minutes or so, I would kind of like to just go through these and break these down um, because there's lots of examples of how this can apply to us today. And I, I don't usually do a good job of, of getting some comments or some discussion, but I think that with a lesson like this and some of these things as they pertain to the church <laughs> there, but how they can really pertain to us today, uh, I'd love to have some good discussion with these. So I, I hope you guys have got some uh, some good comments that we can kind of have an open discussion this morning. But starting with verse 12, um, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And admonish you. 
The first thing I want to point out is, as I kind of mentioned just a second ago, Paul's not making a command here. He's not making a direct command that, brethren, do this. But instead, he says that we urge you. Um, and he uses the word we. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's going to include himself and Silas and Timothy collectively to not, to not make this feel like this is the word of Paul. But he's trying to bring about to them the word of God. And collectively, he wants to encourage them all together. We encourage you, brethren. We urge you. But he goes on to say, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And I'm going to combine this with the next verse. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. Talking about those brethren that labor among them and are over you in the Lord. If, if we're not told anything else, what does who do you think that Paul is referring to there? Who does it sound like he might be talking to? The elders. Yeah, Ms. Brenda. Yeah. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, um, we learn that, that Paul, Paul and Silas on his second missionary journey, he makes it a point to appoint elders in each congregation. Um, as might be a little different with other denominations that we know to today, there's not necessarily a, a division or a home office or a, a central office for, for those that are overseeing the works of the church, but instead uh, elders have been appointed. Now, even though it doesn't specifically say elders here, um, you know, this is a young church. Paul didn't have as much time as it seems like he would like to have with, with other uh, churches that he had helped start or other, other people that he had preached to. But uh, even if he didn't appoint elders specifically, we might think that there was some that might have had some experience, um, maybe some of the Jews. It was obvious that Paul wanted to find some form of leadership. Uh, and why do we think that that was important? We, we, I think, I hope we, and I want to talk about this in just a second, I think, I hope we understand the importance of eldership uh, in the Lord's church. But even at a time when there was a new congregation being started, why do you think it was important for Paul to appoint elders? Or for Timothy or Titus, we'll talk about that. There were others that it was not just Paul that appointed them, but it was important to have leadership in these congregations. If we have... Look to to help organize. To I mean, <laughs> you you gotta have a plan. Yeah. Well, somebody's gotta be working toward. I mean, when I'm looking at this, there are people taking on the work. He specifically is saying those that are working. Mm-hmm. You know, and working with them, working alongside. The fact that they're working mm-hmm. for the work's sake. You know, uh, even in the even in a new congregation, there's got to be people working and, and help them. And give them uh, their due respect that they're doing something, and, and you help and do. People got to be working. Right. There's always going to be people working. Can't have all cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're we're all participating in this Bible study service this morning. Uh, if we didn't have any organization, or we didn't have someone that was kind of setting things in order, uh, when when our main worship service was over, we knew that maybe we needed to do something. Do you think how how Effective, do you think it would be for somebody to just look around and maybe somebody just jump, decide to jump up here and say, hey, we'll, we'll do this? It, it would probably get done. Eventually, if we were sitting here long enough, someone would take the, uh, uh, in, or would take the initiative to jump up maybe and do something. But uh, obviously, it, it would probably take a lot longer. There'd be a lot of wasted time. Or then again, somebody may not ever do anything and we might just depart and leave or something like that. But Barry's right. We do, we do need someone to do something. And 
Obviously, the elders that were appointed were given qualifications in Timothy, in the first chapter of Timothy and to Titus. Uh, they did need to be qualified leaders. But these were leaders that were responsible or were tasked with not only organizing things with the church, but they were looked at as overseers. Prepared, yes. Um, just like Chris's lesson last week. Um, preparation for the Christian is a, a big task that we we all need to be for any... Our lesson scripture this morning, I always like First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give a defense. I mean, we need to be prepared in a lot of ways. Christians definitely do. And the eldership uh, is responsible for the well-being of all the members of the church. Uh, they're responsible for making sure that everybody is acting accordingly. They can't overlook something that's going uh, wrong or, or saying that things that are against what we should be doing in the church. Is there a, Becca, did you have your hand up? I was just Right, and that, that's a good example of reproof as well, but you're exactly right. That That's a really good good point. I mean, it's not only, I guess, the point that you're trying, it's not only elders that can, can do those things, I guess. We're, we all. Like they need, they need an elder to help sure, sure, and they, they did that discreetly. Uh, that was in Acts chapter 18 or Acts chapter 19. Um, eloquent speaker. I'm sorry, I've lost name. Apollos, yes. Very eloquent speaker. He was... Missing the point on a few things that he wasn't made aware of, and they discreetly helped him do that. But you know, that that kind of goes along with we all can correct one another, but we do have elders that are responsible. That the overseeing of the church and being responsible and giving an account in Hebrews chapter thirteen verse seventeen, it's told that the, that the elders of the the church would give an account uh, for all in the body, and so that's a big task. That's something that we. Um, I, the, the point I wanted to make in talking about this, I didn't want to spend too much time on this point, but I do believe that today in the church, we've got a lot of people that understand the importance of elder and the role that they play and, and how we should respect a role as big as that they play. But there's there's some that probably don't really understand. They may look at elders as just someone who are the rule carriers. They just they are strictly just over organization and, and carrying out things, but they don't look at the eldership as those being responsible for every soul that's a part of the body. That's a, such a bigger and deeper thing that we need to, as Paul says in verse 13, we need to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. But he, do, he does point out in the verse before that, that they labor among you. They're not, work, they're not working necessarily more than you. Everybody should work together as the body is seen, as Paul makes mention to the, to the church body. Christ is the head and the church is the body. We all have our roles that we can play to make sure that the body is operating together and operating strongly. And the elders are looking over us to make sure that we are held accountable for things. They're going to be held accountable as they give, as they give uh, an account for what they did in the role of the eldership. Um, it, it's, it's just such a big thing. And even though Paul doesn't use the word eldership here specifically, uh, as Miss Brenda says, we can even take this to think that maybe he might have meant that, or, or we can even use this as an example of how we should view the eldership today. But we should esteem them. We should help to encourage them. But we should always uh, uh, 
you know, appreciate them in the roles that they play to admonish us. We're, there we go using the word admonish already in, in verse 12. Um, those that are over you in the Lord and admonish you, that's something too that we should take that admonishment and not be offended by that. We should look at it as they're playing a, a big role to make sure that we're all acting as Christians as we should be. And the and the elders in the congregation are men just as anybody else is. So there's, there's situations that we know of um, where there's elderships, even churches that we know of where churches split or something like that. But we're, we're all men. Uh, we all try to do the best we can, but we are to respect the elders and to... Uh, we need to esteem them and encourage them as well. So I think that that kind of probably goes in. There was a, a I think it might have been in the uh, commentary of the lesson, but it says an effective leadership uh, depends on willing and able leaders, but also requires willing followers. I think that's that's a good thing that for all of us to kind of keep in mind that we all, we all have a responsibility. that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have to prepare like to be led, and then we have to prepare as leaders. And this verse here in 13, it says to esteem them very highly in love for their works. It's not hard to esteem an eldership or shepherds. Shepherds, right. It's not hard. To love them and have great admiration for a man who, who is willing to fulfill that role. Sure. And to have compassion, uh, you know, for, for the people. You know, it's not hard to love and esteem. <clears throat> but sometimes we can not be thinking of it, even if we're not mindful. We can never even say an encouraging word or even thank an elder for something. I know one time somebody, uh, a couple times we've had somebody that come up with the idea that let's let's write a thank you letter to the elders. And that's something that we should do more often. Um, to always let them know because it's it's a harder job than most anybody else gives credit for. It, it helps. It would help, you know, encourage them and yeah. help them not get to get Yeah. And in the con... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say probably the biggest help we can give them is that last sentence in verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. Because if we do that, I would imagine that makes their job infinitely easier. You think anytime you are trying to lead a group of people, if everybody's pulling the same direction, everybody's at peace with each other, it makes it a lot easier. And it doesn't take many, many participants not being at peace among each other to make your job as a leader a lot more difficult. That's an excellent point, Chris. And honestly, I didn't want to uh, move on too much without taking a, a second to actually specify that point. Be at peace among yourselves for uh, any leaders in the church. Um, the job is not an easy one, but it could be a lot harder if the people within the church are not getting along. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they may not get along specifically with one of the leaders or the shepherds of the church. It could be that just members are not getting along for for whatever reason, there could be certain there could be certain issues that's that's causing a divide within the church, and that makes the elders or, or the leaders' job that much harder. Well, Paul said it for a reason, also in Romans chapter twelve, verse eighteen. I think of this one a lot, uh, and I'm going to try to paraphrase it, but I think he says, um, 
as much as possibly so, as it pertains to you, live peaceably with all men. So we are to live peaceably with each each of us that are members of the Lord's church. But when we leave the Lord's church, we don't need to be picking fights or causing problems with other people that's out there. We need to live peaceably with all. And I wanted to kind of say something among that is just an example. We've been watching a lot of Little House on the Prairie. Anybody Little House fan? Anybody remember watching Little House? Yeah, surely surely somebody has. It's, it's, it's been around for a while. But you might remember an episode where the church was meeting. I think that they'd had a newer preacher, and he had made a recommendation to the church. He said, uh, you know, they talk about Mankato. I don't know if it was particularly Mankato or where they were talking about, but he said they've got a big bell for the church, and I just think that that would be a great idea to have here. And everybody in the church agreed, and they said we should have a bell that we could ring, ring the church bells. That's something we don't have. Everybody was in agreement to that. Who remembers the, the Olsons? They, they, they ran the dry goods store. They were, Miss Olson and Miss and Nellie, they were, they were characters, right? Yeah. Well, Miss Olson said, well, I think that, and she always wanted to let everybody in the town know how much money or how much that they had. Yeah, they, they were the store owners and they had a lot of things, but they said, you know what? My husband and I would love to donate that bill to the church. We'll just put a plaque with it that says that we gave it. And immediately, immediately, there was dissension because there were some that says, well, we can't afford if, if all of us kind of pitched in. I don't think we could afford a bell. I think we should let the Olsons donate that bell. The other side said, well, if they're going to make us put a plaque that's got their name on it, we might as well call this their church. And it would come such a dissension that nobody could get along. And it was talks of the church would even split up it's, that if you didn't go along with them and take their donation of the bell, then they were going to go elsewhere. Or if you didn't like that, that they wanted to take the bell, then they're going to go elsewhere. Now, what you probably noticed in a church like that, a small church, and I, and I don't know what their background was, but there, in that time, uh, there wasn't necessarily, I mean, the preacher was getting up and making his recommendation for that, and he had a good heart and a reason for it. But even some of the men in the congregation tried to make their comments to, to quell everything, and it just seemed to make things worse. But we're talking about an example. And I just use it because we honestly just watched it the other night. But I just saw how heartbreaking that was to see a small little church like that get so, so torn up that they couldn't even... Over a bell. Over something that was as meaningless as something that's nothing is required about a bell. It was, it was a good thought to have. Barry? It was really... That's exactly, yes, it was deeper than the bell. You know, the, you know, the bell was just the unwilling device that ended up being <laughs> what you could blame on. But right. We, and that goes for, for all of us. It's still a good example, exactly. And I think that's part of what's going on there with, with Paul telling Look, those that are working, mm -hmm. realize they're working and, and support them and help right. them. And, 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 and if you can't work, that's fine. But, but, but remember, it, just get the work done. Don't worry about who's doing it. Right. That's exactly right. Because we want to get back. I say all this because Paul is writing, and, and whether they were really having issues among themselves or not, I guess we don't know that. But I guess he wanted to try to get ahead of that because you got a group of people who are all learning something together. And he wants to emphasize to them that, hey, these leaders that are probably going to be helping you, teach you, and to, to lead you, appreciate them, lift them up, encourage them. But also, if you'll live peacefully with each other, you'll be making their job a lot easier. I obviously, as I always do, went over way too much and didn't have enough time to finish it. I do appreciate the comments and the discussion. Um, thank you guys for being here this morning.